Hello and welcome to The Download. I'm your host, Dave Richardson, and I'm joined by another David, our uh, good friend from the UK, David Riley, who is the Chief Strategist at uh, Blue Bay Asset Management. Well, that was uh, seemed uh, seemed hard to say. I'm, I'm up early because you're five hours ahead of me, and that's uh, that's a little rough on me and, and my yeah. ability to, uh, to, to speak clearly. So we'll, we'll let you do most of the talking since you're the expert anyways. We, we've had some, some really interesting activity uh, and news coming out of the UK. Uh, of course, we were uh, we were all saddened with the loss of uh, our Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth. Uh, we um, uh, it was uh, I, I know uh, I know for all of us here in Canada, she was uh, she's she's our Queen as well, and uh, yep. sad to sad to see her go. The only the only Queen I've known in my lifetime, and I've been around a long time. Uh, and uh, and then of course a change in the UK government. Uh, which has spurred on some some unusual activity uh, in in British markets, which kind of had a spillover effect in into global markets. So, so David, w- w- what happened? I guess it was this this mini budget that the the new government put in place, and then sort of lots of crazy stuff happened. Uh, in a nutshell, that is it exactly, <laughs> Dave. And it's good to speak to you. And I'm. Um, although it always seems unfortunate that it seems to be during periods of uh, either economic, political or financial crisis um, in the UK. And, and, and you're right. I mean, you know, we've got a the UK has a new prime minister, Liz Truss. She has a sort of radical tax cutting deregulation agenda um, for, for growth. Her chancellor presented um, a, a, a mini budget, um, which turned out to be anything but... Um, so they announced um, a, a huge energy um, subsidy package, which will um, essentially cap the average or typical UK household energy bill at about um, uh, two and a half thousand um, pounds. So that's still, I think, uh, roughly about three thousand eight hundred uh, Canadian dollars. So even it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, which underscores just how big this kind of energy crisis and and the rise in natural gas prices has been for 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 Europe, including um, uh, the UK. But you know that was a measure they've announced. Um, it's very expensive, but um, you know it was expected. Um, ultimately, it will prove temporary, a bit like some of the emergency fiscal support that was introduced during the COVID. Um, pandemic. But what really spooked investors is that the Chancellor also announced much bigger than expected tax cuts, including to the top rate uh, uh, tax cuts of benefiting the most wealthy in in, in the UK of uh, uh, £45 billion with more to come. And this was completely unfunded. Okay, this is purely going to be paid for out of uh, increased um, government borrowing. Um, they presented a budget that wasn't uh, independently uh, costed or, or, or verified. There was no projections either for growth or uh, for, for the overall level of um, um, public debt. And, yeah, I think the market thought, wow, you know, we've got a government that's come in place, is on a debt-funded um, dash for growth, which is operating, which is kind of moving against what the Bank of England is trying to do, which is to try and slow the economy to bring inflation um, inflation down. It's got pretty much scant sort of disregard, if you like, for um, the implications for public debt sustainability and for the impact on inflation and 
um, interest rates. And this is a UK economy that supply constraints. It's got a huge 8% of GDP trade um, uh, deficit. And it's actually got the highest inflation in the G7. So investors dumped uh, UK government bonds, gilt. They also uh, dumped uh, the, uh, the, 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 the British pound. Um, but the moves were so brutal, were so violent um, that, you know, what it then kind of started to morph into a sort of broader financial crisis and, and, and you know, threaten UK financial stability. Yeah, and 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 for Canadians, we're, we're we're somewhat insulated from an understanding of just how weak the pound has been, because Canadians, and we've talked about this on on this yeah. podcast before, Canadians are focused almost completely on the exchange rate with the U.S. and and so when we look at our at the the Canadian dollar versus the U.S., we've actually held up pretty well. But the U.S. dollar is on an absolute tear. Yeah. So whereas yeah. the Canadian dollar is down about at the peak was down about eight percent on the year against the U.S. dollar, the pound is down over twenty percent. So for Canadians, a good good time to visit our friends over in uh, yeah, in the U.K. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we I, need some I, hard currency. Absolutely, bring some hard currency. Maybe 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 pack some uh, maybe pack some natural gas. <laughs> a couple of barrels of natural gas as we as we go yeah. over as well, uh, but 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 these are these are not normal moves in currency over short because this is a six month period we're talking about. Yeah. These are not normal moves in currencies. These are these are very very big moves in currencies yeah. which create all kinds of volatility. And then another thing that 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 Canadians would be familiar with is is being poked by the IMF. It happened to us about yeah. thirty years ago when our when our debt situation got. Got a little bit out of control, uh, but when the IMF's coming in and um, and 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 saying nasty things about a, a major economy like the UK, something's awry. So so all of this yeah. happens, but then and then within the, the 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 UK pension fund, that's where things really start to unwind. So why don't you talk about uh, about how that plays out, and then ultimately what has been the short term solution for the issue? Yeah, no, sure. So yeah, look, so. You know, UK pension funds, they have about, um, well, one and a half trillion pounds of assets that are um, based on liability driven investments. So overall, UK pension funds are in, in total are actually even bigger, but there's, there's one and a half trillion pounds. So still a huge number um, that are managed using this so-called liability driven investment LDI. And you know the the the, the kind of uh, thinking behind that is actually you know very familiar. I'm sure with uh, you know people on this uh, call, and and uh, you know shouldn't really be you know makes a lot of sense. Which is I'm a pension fund. I've got long term pension liabilities. Obviously, what I've got to pay out to uh, current and and, and future uh, pensioners. And so I seek to uh, sort of match that on the asset side by holding you know, safe, long maturity, long dated, um, ideally inflation linked um, assets. Um, and so the obvious thing to hold is, you know, uh, government government bonds and particularly inflation linked government bonds, but, but, but government bonds more, more generally. And so, OK, fine. If interest rates uh, go up, obviously I lose on my bond portfolio as a pension fund, but so does the present value of my pension liabilities as well. So both sides of my 
um, you know, balance sheet and match. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much indifferent to where interest rates go. That's all great. It's all fantastic. However, um, as unfortunately there is a tendency to do amongst some of us in the financial uh, uh, markets, dare I say, is we take a good idea and then we just stretch it a little bit too far. And uh, one of the ways it's been stretched in, in, in terms of UK pension funds is that firstly, these pension funds aren't fully funded. So they don't actually have our current assets that fully offset all their um, liabilities. So they can't really completely sort of match their asset and liabilities. They still need to generate kind of returns to build up those those assets to pay off those um, uh, liabilities. So what they've done is enter into derivative contracts, mostly interest rate swaps, where they've essentially created a kind of um, essentially leveraged their long bond portfolio. So um, by, by, by using leverage, by using the interest rate swaps, um, they can match their uh, liabilities with this, you know, sort of synthetic um, uh, government bond guilt um, exposure. That frees up capital, that frees up funds, which they can then invest in more risky, less liquid assets like UK real estate, or you know US equities or leveraged loans, private credit, private equity, et cetera, et cetera, um, in order to generate the the, 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 the the higher returns. However, we had such a brutal sell-off as a result of this uh, mini budget um, that pension funds um, and their sort of LDI asset managers were facing huge margin calls on these um uh, interest rate derivative positions uh, which they had and they were much bigger those margin calls than the cash which they had available these these positions were out of money so you have to you know start posting um cash or collateral so what did they do well they are holding a lot of uh, government bonds so they started selling the government bonds so you're selling into a falling market where there's no bid on the other side that pushes up the yield pushes down those bond prices, leading to more margin calls, leading you to sell even more. This is a kind of doom spiral of forced selling. This is, you know, this is kind of 101 on investing, which is you never want to be in a position where you're a forced seller. Um, and that's exactly what uh, UK pension funds, uh, you know, were involved in. And, you know, given the scale, this one and a half um, trillion, given the, um, you know, got, pension funds, you've got LDI asset managers, you've got other counterparties, which could be including UK um, banks. That forced the Bank of England to um, intervene. It basically announced that it was going to buy up to £65 billion worth of UK government bonds, of, of gilts, um, up until the 14th of October. And that announcement effect had a huge impact. Um, they've bought some bonds, but actually not that many, because you know, just knowing that the Bank of England is standing ready to buy those bonds kind of put a floor um, on, on uh, a floor on the price. I mean, it is a massive reversal, of course, by um, the Bank of England, because only a week before it said it was going to sell all of its uh, or start selling its, its UK government bonds because we're supposed to be in a world of quantitative tightening, not back in a world of um, quantitative easing. So it's another illustration as well, if you like, whereby, you know, the, the, the mini budget was kind of acting against precisely what the Bank of England was trying to um, uh, trying to achieve. So it's calmed the market, at least for now. But, you know, UK government bond yields are still much higher. Um, UK expectations around the Bank of England base rate or the policy rate before the budget 
it was expected to peak at about 4%. Now it's expected to peak at around about 5.5%. So there's still a big sort of overhang facing UK mortgage holders. Um, most mortgages in the UK are sort of two to five years. Um, a lot of those obviously were written when interest rates were incredibly low. They're going to be running off and people are going to be facing not only this big increase in their energy bills, but also potentially, um, depending where Bank of England interest rates go, but they're going to go higher than they otherwise would have done, um, a much increase in their mortgage rates as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, just to put it in, in, in very simple terms for, for Canadians and just relating it to, say, an individual situation where, say, you've got a million dollar house, you've got a $900,000 mortgage, uh, and all of a sudden interest rates go up uh, and you're in a, say, you're on a variable rate mortgage. And so, so yeah. you've got to make a higher payment and you've got to find that cash and the cash isn't there and you're leveraged and you need to find somebody to come and bail you out. I know when that happened to, uh, to me many, many years ago. Uh, fortunately, my uh, my parents were around. Uh, in the case of the uh, in in the case of the UK pension, yeah. uh, we had the Bank of England come in uh, as the parents to come and uh, and and solve the issue. I think that's kind of a a very simplistic analysis. But you're leveraged out. Say you got a mortgage and and uh, you got a house, and most of the house is mortgaged. So you're leveraged in terms of your down payment, uh, and then rates go up, and 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 you get kind of a, a cash call and. And it, it, it forces you into making some very challenging decisions. Uh, and in this case, of course, the Bank of England has to come and bail. So, so it's a kind of clumsy comparison I'm drawing here. And again, very simplistic. But, but there are other spots around the world where obviously leverage is being used. We learned from the global financial crisis, the great financial crisis, yeah. that, that, that leverage when monetary conditions tighten uh, creates issues, um, at, you know, the value of liquidity uh, in, you know, particularly in, in challenging times. What do you think the takeaway is for the rest of the world from, from what's happened in the UK? Because if it can happen there, you'd almost think it can happen anywhere. So what, what should we be, what are we watching for here? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And I mean, I think, you know, as, as, as you alluded to, um, Dave, as well in the introduction, you know, this has come against the backdrop where we've seen, um, uh, you know, an historic, in, in many respects, kind of appreciation of the US dollar. You know, we've seen, you know, a very rapid, it's not so much the level of where interest rates have got to, it's just how quickly we've, we've, we've got there. Um, obviously, you know, led by the Fed, but, you know, other, all the other major central banks, the Bank of Canada, Bank of England, you know, even the European Central Bank, only the Bank of Japan is kind of standing out against this, uh, this rise, but that's probably for, 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 for another discussion. So, you know, we've had this really dramatic, as you've said, sort of tightening in global financial conditions, most, most broadly defined. And I think in that situation, what happens is that sort of weak links get exposed. And what we've seen is actually the UK and some of its pension fund uh, arrangements and regulations proved to be a weak link. Um, and sure, you know, UK has got its particular sort of idiosyncratic issues and weaknesses. Um, and so, you know, was kind of vulnerable. Um, but this is the I think this is the point that has and is worrying. I think investors more 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 generally is 
okay, so, you know, we've got this tightening global financial conditions, you know, what's going to break, what's going to crack, you know, we've had the, 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 the UK, you know, face potentially quite a, you know, serious financial stability crisis, hopefully that's been addressed now by, um, uh, by, by the Bank of England, but where else could we see this happen? And, and things like LDI, you know, isn't unique actually to, to the UK, um, you know, you have, um, not dissimilar arrangements in other um, uh, j- jurisdictions. Um, but I think, again, it speaks exactly to your point, Dave, and the takeaway for, for investors is, you know, in a, in a low volatility world as well, then, you know, leverage can work very effectively. And it can be, you know, using these as tools to manage your risk and return profile, you know, can be very efficient. I'm not sort of suggesting that this is in all circumstances kind of, um, kind of bad, but when you've when you've broken into a new regime um, where not only interest rates are higher, um, you know uh, you're getting these big swings in uh, currencies, but actually overall levels of volatility in asset prices are, are, are much much higher. Then um, you know then then if you if you have leveraged exposure to the, some of those asset prices, um, then then you can be very dangerously. Um, you know, exposed from a financial point of view. And it does speak to the value of having um, a sort of, you know, the value of liquidity, um, because not only do you not want to be a forced seller of assets, ideally, you want to be in a position where maybe you could be a buyer of assets when everyone else um, is fearful and everyone else um, is, is, is kind of being forced to, um, you know, being forced to sell. I mean, I do think that we are going to see, I think, some more episodes, not perhaps dissimilar to the, that of um, the UK. And I, and I think it's also something which I know I've been talking, for example, with, with Eric Lascelles about and, and Dan and Seanus and others, which is, you know, we've, we've gone from a world where, you know, governments could spend and change taxes and 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 borrow without really having to worry about the availability of finance and the cost of finance because interest rates were zero central banks were buying lots of bonds there was a great big there was a great kind of investor search for yield um but now we're in a world where actually you know there is a lot more kind of risk premium and yield um you don't have to necessarily go out and and, and um invest in uh, government uh, bonds to to you know other assets to to to, to get yield um, and I think it's therefore a world where I think sort of economic fundamentals and policy credibility, and I think essentially what's happened in the UK is a crisis of crisis of credibility. It's not really a financial crisis; it's a crisis of credibility of UK um, policy um, institutions. So, yeah, I mean, I think you know the lesson hopefully that other governments take is, you, you know, you, you've 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 got to have sort of sustainable fiscal policy, public finances. Um, the lesson for investors, including institutional investors, is be wary about the amount of leverage you have. And if you do have leverage, make sure you've got plenty of buffers to be able to absorb that. And, and clearly some UK pension funds and LDI managers didn't have that. Um, and, you know, don't underestimate the value of um, liquidity in a world where markets are so volatile. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, just to just to come back to, again, my, my simple analogy of a Canadian homeowner. You know, we've we've had in Canada for the last 20 years, 
um, you know, generally rising housing prices and, you know, over time house housing prices yep. go up uh, over the last 40 years up until say the last two years, we generally had a, a long-term downtrend in interest rates. So again, you, you could be, you, you could use leverage to your advantage. You get, you buy a, a house at a high price, you get a mortgage for most of it. So say your leverage three or four, five, 10 times in the example I use with a million dollar house, yeah. $900,000 mortgage or sorry, nine times. Yeah. And, and, um, and all's good as things are stable and calm, but all of a sudden rates jump and housing prices are challenged. If you don't have that liquidity, that's when it becomes more risky. And we've moved into a period very rapidly this year where uh, that, that volatility or interest rates spike up, currencies are moving all over the place. And that's where having that liquidity and, and having credibility too, having, yeah. having, you know, you being a reliable mortgager, for example, in, yeah. in, in my analogy, uh, helps you as well. Uh, and and then uh, as always, if we, we we love to have that liquidity because from an investment perspective, I think that was a great point you made, which is we'd love to have that liquidity so that instead of being the forced buyer or the forced seller, we're sitting there on the other end when someone's forced to sell that we buy and we get some some great. Yeah, that's where that's where the value is created. And um, I mean, there was such a big sell off in in UK uh, gilts um that um yeah there was some value in in an asset which i didn't think there was any value to be to be frank um there was there was there was some value that you know um had been created in in even in that particular um asset class so um yeah i mean i th i think it's I, th I think all those points are exactly right it's 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 a situation where you are you know you just need to be a sort of aware um, and understand the portfolio, understand the kind of contingencies, if you if you like, around your um, investments, just as you have, you know, some good financial planning around when you make, um, you know, when you when you borrow to to to, to buy a home um, as, as, as well um, and kind of revisit those. It's always worth kind of revisiting those, having a kind of, you know, review. And yeah, exactly as you say, being in a position because there is going to be, you know, value is kind of being uh, created, and and obviously, you know, it's, it's volatile. It can be pretty painful from from an investment point of view, but there's no doubt that I think some opportunities will and are um, arising, and you 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 do want to be in the right place um, to 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 make the most of that from you know to when you're investing particularly over the longer term so so we happen to be checking in with you today on a, on an issue in the uk but your expertise goes way beyond your own borders you're you're not just mr uk you're mr worldwide so <laughs> so 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 you kind of have that look too uh, right now david <laughs> by the way it's a, it's a podcast i think yeah. so 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 they can't see but i can so so when when you look around at at what's happening with interest rates in general inflation around the world what's your view on how this is going to play out you know we've had we've had some other some other folks on that are 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 very clearly on the side that that inflation has kind of rolled over that that as we move out and it's hard to pinpoint exactly when inflation normalizes and rates start to to turn down but what's what's your view on inflation and then where interest rates go in in major economies around the world yeah so um look, this i mean this is uh, such a good question and and hence it's such a difficult one i'm 
Yeah, I, I tend to think of inflation as a process that has a huge amount of inertia. So when inflation is very, very low and it was sort of below the central bank's targets, it kind of stayed there for, for, for a long time. And then when it breaks higher for, for a whole host of reasons, but, you know, you, you get much higher inflation, I think then it also has its own inertia. And I think the concern which I have, particularly at this point in time where I think investors are starting to think, well, okay, you know, inflation has peaked, it will start coming down. That means that the Fed and the Bank Canada and other central banks are going to kind of pause and might even kind of pivot to lower interest rates, you know, during the course of next year, during the course of, of, of 2023. You know, I, th I think my, my concern around that and, and why I think actually that is too premature is that I think inflation falling from, you know, eight, nine percent down to, you know, five, six, even, you know, four percent, you know, that I think is going to be happening and it's going to happen over the next, you know, six, uh, seven months or so, in part just because things like higher energy prices are kind of going to roll up, roll off um, in the calculations just through, through, through base effects. But I think getting inflation from 4% down to near 2%, I think that's going to be tough. And I think it's going to take quite a long time. And I think the central banks, you know, obviously the Fed, but not only the Fed, you know, the, the takeaway from, from the 1970s that they've drawn is that when inflation started to come down at uh, one point in, after the initial shock in the, in the 70s, they started cutting rates. And then inflation started moving back up again. And ultimately, they had to engineer a really, really deep and painful recession to kind of break the back, you know, the whole Paul Volcker, uh, the Fed, et cetera, um, to break the back of inflation with a huge cost in terms of um, mass um, unemployment. So I, th I think we are in a world where inflation is going to be yeah, coming down, but it's going to stay stickier and higher than many people expect. I think we're in a world where we're going to have you know, higher for longer um, interest rates. And against that backdrop, I think it's going to be quite tough for, you know, quite a lot of, you know, so-called risk assets, you know, growth sensitive assets like 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 equities to really sustain a, 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 a big rally until, you know, we really have our confidence that inflation is going to be getting down to 2% and central banks, you know, can stop because they believe that they've done you know that they've, they've they've done their job but you know it's a difficult time for all sorts of central bank. i mean you know bank of england because if it doesn't raise interest rates you know maybe more aggressively than it wanted to do so then it potentially could see a big sell-off in the pound which in itself is inflationary in in europe with the european central bank um you know it's been behind the you know not just behind the inflation curve it's been, been behind nearly every other um central bank and most notably um uh the, the the fed and so it's trying to catch up but at the same time germany and europe as a whole is going into recession because of the ukraine war and because of the impact on gas supplies and gas um uh, uh prices and then you know obviously in, in in the you know north america united states and canada you're in i think a much better position both in the economics and because you've got less of these other kind of moving parts um if you like but you know inflation is still well above um, target um, the economies uh, you still got very tight labor markets and so it's still going to be a big challenge I think to engineer um, us, us, us off landing so I 
I, I'd, I'd still be reasonably cautious. That doesn't mean, you know, not being invested, but I think, you know, you still do, you know, um, don't get kind of carried away by a sort of narrative that, you know, inflation inflation is over as a story and, and, and central banks are done. I don't think they are. Yeah, and, and we're really seeing that the last month or so in, in, in equity markets has, has been a perfect example of, of this this tug of war in, in, yeah. in terms of that view that you, 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 you get a couple of days like we've had right here to start October where, oh, wow, oh, maybe, maybe inflation is not going to be so yeah. sticky. Maybe we're going to, maybe, you know, we, even if we have a little, a mild recession, that means rates come down. So that's going to be good for stocks. Whereas all the way through September, it was like, no, like your, more your view that that inflation sticky. It's going to be around for a long time. Even as you say, if we get it from 8% down to four, getting from four to two is going to be really hard. So that's going to mean a bumpy ride for stocks. Yeah. And it's this back and forth that's that creates all that volatility. And again, if you go back and look at, at, at equity markets through the 1970s, uh, as we went through that experience that you were, uh, you were yeah. walking us through, uh, I mean, it was not a fantastic time uh, for, for, for equity investors. Uh, so, uh, so, so now's a time to, uh, you know, to, to, to pick your spots and and to make sure that you know what you're doing as you're as you're picking assets, and of course, uh, you and your uh, your friends at uh, at Blue Bay Asset Management uh, in the fixed income space, maybe nobody better on the planet at doing that. So, uh, and and you're the you're the key behind that. You're the uh, you're, you're you're the strategist. So uh, so I know how much impact you have on that. Although you, uh, you you know, and this is the second time that you've you've gotten this fine on this podcast, $5 fine for saying idiosyncratic, all the portfolio managers who come on uh, and they, they know that. And, and that's an expensive fine for you because $5 Canadian fine. used to be, yeah. used to be nothing. Now it's pretty much five pounds. So we'll, uh, we'll put that in the coffer for charity and, and, and thank you for making that mistake. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a pleasure as, as, as always. And uh, um, I, I'll be more careful in future because yeah, I, I, I just can't afford to rack up too many dollar fines. Exactly. So, uh, so David, thanks again, and we'll uh, we'll we'll check in with you shortly. I'd like to get you back yeah. uh, a, a little bit more often because you've always yeah. got incredible insights. So, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Good to speak to you. This recording has been provided by RBC Global Asset Management Inc. for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be investment or financial advice. You should consult your own legal, accounting, tax, investment, or financial planning advisors before engaging in any transactions.